Hey everyone, welcome to Ask Shane Anything. This is the live recording of Ask Shane Anything. This is a reward for patrons who pledge at $7 or more per month, although everyone gets to watch the archive. What's up, everybody? How's everybody doing on this Sunday afternoon? Wonderful. Yeah? Amazing. Yeah? Well, let's see. Let's get it started with Mitch. Mitch, you actually have some big news to announce that people may not have heard about, right? Yes. If you have not followed social media or checked us out on uh, the Pixel Pines podcast, uh, I have uh, I've joined the development team at Naughty Dog. Um, That's amazing news, tomorrow, man. So, Mitch, I remember when you got here and your goal, your entire goal was to work at Naughty Dog. Like nice. the first day we were talking, you're like, you know, I, this is cool. And I'm doing this with you guys. And like, but, you know, my goal is to come here and work in the games industry. And more specifically, I'd love to work at Naughty Dog. And it is amazing to see literally your dream come true. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I mean, to be honest, like I came out here, I just wanted to be in the industry. Like when I in my interview, I told them I was like, I just want to be in the club. Like, yeah. I don't care. I don't care if I'm like in the VIP. I don't care <laughs> if I'm on the dance floor, if I'm at yep. the bar. I just want to be in the club. Right. <laughs> yeah. And like, I got a taste of being in the club and I got bounced out because of COVID. Thank you very yeah. much. And so I was like, I just went back in the club, guys. Like, put me <laughs> back in the club. And I guess that that pitch worked for them. So, you know, I no, I just I'm it's 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 surreal. Like, I, I honestly probably will not feel the full feelings until I show up the next day tomorrow because that's I just, tomorrow, right? Tomorrow morning. Yeah, tomorrow morning. I just, I don't even, I, I still haven't like processed everything. I like, I'm, I'm like, I'm done <laughs> at my last job. Like, Oh, okay. And I'm going to this job. That's like my dream job. That can't be true. Right. That can't be true, but it is true. It is true. <laughs> it's awesome, man. It's what time do you have to be at work? Uh, I actually get the half a day off because so, it's all, oh. it's all setting up my desk and like all my tech stuff. So gotcha. um, training really starts on Tuesday. But, oh, okay. Um, so so you're going for a half a day tomorrow? Yeah, I show up at noon. Ah, that's a good way to get started. <laughs> I know, like sleep in and then, yeah. You know, Enjoy like... it now, Mitch, because when that project <laughs> that you work on starts to get wrapped up, man, you're going to be there a lot. <laughs> so be yes. ready. Overtime is not required, but you may Encouraged be pressured. Or... You may be pressured by others if they are doing overtime to do it as well. You don't have to do it. Is that's, that what they said to you? That is what they said to you. Now they yeah. do say, um, as we get near the end of a development of something, um, uh, that we may have to add an extra day here and there. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is required. But besides that, but that's I mean, only. Are you going to care really? No. If, you, if you're working at your dream job, especially yeah. right. when I get to, if I get to like see what I'm working on, be like, oh my god, this could be freaking amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you don't even know what you're working on yet, right? Uh, I, I I can't say if I'm working on anything or not working on anything. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, you can. You can say whether you're working on something. You can't just say nope. you can't say what you're nope. working my, on. My NDA says I can't disclose if I'm working, if I'm working on something or if I'm not working on something. Because if I say I'm working on something, that's considered news. Mm, wow. But everybody knows that they're working on something or they wouldn't be a company. <laughs> that's crazy. That's, that's just, they just, I guess they try to make it, I guess if you like look at a perspective of like saying like, Hey, they might be working on three projects is what the rumor is. But then they, by me saying like, I might be working on something might be like, Oh, they are working on three projects or something, which well, I have no idea. That sounds very pretentious. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to lose the job. So I'm really, taking oh, I totally get it. I'm just saying from their perspective, they sound like they're really pretentious. If they're like, you can, well, what are, are we supposed Sony to assume Computer that you're just going to work and getting paid to sit at a desk and do nothing? Like, what? Are, <laughs> this makes no yeah. sense. 
But anyway, that's awesome, dude. Congratulations. Do you have a question for me? I do. At this I... point, you may have everything figured out, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, this one, I because I was fascinated because uh, I know you talked on Game Face. Was it not this last week because you were out ill, which, by the way, I'm happy you're doing well. Yes, I'm uh, finally among the living again. I was <laughs> starting to get a little worried there, to be honest. Yeah. So um, so I know you mentioned and I, I know it's about the the pactor, the, the scoop. And I, I know you mentioned a lot about, you know, some people being very critical of your, your decision making of how you decided to go about sharing the scoop and like putting it out there in the ether. Mm-hmm. I did have a question on like a certain aspect of the approach, like my, what my idea would like try to approach it. And obviously, I don't know if you approach it and you can let me know if you did, but then also lets you an avenue to like address any of the other stuff that you maybe want to address of people's other critical things where you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that? But my thought was like, I was curious because you had interviewed Jason Shire. And so you probably have his contact info Mm -hmm. of maybe just finding a way to maybe co-op with him where he can dive into his sources to confirm it on his end. And then you guys could come with a joint statement because I mean, you don't, obviously you don't have the largest of social media followings in the games industry. You have a decent following, but I just thought if like, oh, if you had someone like Jason Shire that would say like, oh yeah, I can also confirm this with someone like Michael Pachter and then say, oh yeah, this is a co-op because I've seen him credit other writers before and then he could easily credit the Can you give me an example of a time he's credited other writers? I I honestly have never seen that. I'd have to look back, but I I do remember he has stated like in in cooperation, like the scoop was found out by me in cooperation with someone else. Most of the time it's within his own, within Bloomberg itself. Yeah, see, that's the difference. Yeah. Um, So I'm just curious. Okay. Um, Let's see. (laughs) How do I? I... It's a big one. (laughs) It's not a big one. I just have to be careful about how I word some things. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, to answer your question, no, it was never a consideration to work with him on the story and likewise i don't think he would ever consider and this is why i wouldn't even approach him about it is because he would not consider working with someone else on a story it's i think maybe some people get the misconception that people do this stuff just to be nice like that schreier is like beating the pavement being a gumshoe because he wants to hook people up with like the story but that's not why he's doing it. He's doing it to draw people to Bloomberg to basically tell his employer, hey, you hired me to do this. I'm doing it. And look, it's paying off. Um, and same deal for us. Like, you know, you run a story like that to generate interest. Obviously, there's a fringe benefit of, wow, you're informing all these people that you care about and that are a lot like you of what's going on with this game that they really care about. That's awesome. And that's a fringe benefit. But it's a job. <laughs> And the job is to draw people, draw eyeballs and get people engaged in your coverage. And then ultimately, maybe they end up supporting you. Even just going and watching the YouTube video about it is a form of supporting us. So I just want to get one thing straight. I think for whatever reason, people romanticize game coverage and they feel like it's this charity thing that people do. And one time I mentioned, I think back when the whole cyberpunk thing happened, People were like appalled when I said, yeah, well, of course we're doing this. People are like, you're just doing this to get eyeballs. Yeah, we absolutely <laughs> are. That's the whole reason we're doing this. Like, what do you think it is a charity? Like the perception of what people, why we do this is so whacked out online. Mm-hmm. The reason we do it is to drive eyeballs and to have a successful mm-hmm. business. Now you do it ethically. 
You don't cheat. You don't lie. You do it ethically. You, you follow whatever editorial principles you've been imbued with. I went to school for journalism. A lot of people who work in this industry haven't. Um, Jason Schreier is, went to school for writing. He understands how to do things editorially. So you, try, you do it with editorial ethics in mind, and you make sure you do everything buttoned up, and you cross your T's, and you dot your I's, and you do all that. But the end result that you're hoping for is, yeah, hopefully people read the work or watch the work or whatever, and it helps our company to survive, in all honesty. Um, so I just want to get that out of the way first. Like, of course, everything that we do is trying to get people to watch. Every show that we launch is trying to get people to watch our stuff and maybe support it in some way, shape, or form. So the idea that two outlets would work together on a story like that is never going to happen. Like, it's just, it wouldn't even be in consideration of me. Like, it didn't. It did not even enter my mind while I was working on this with Pactor that I should go to Jason Schreier and tell him the information that I have and then see if he can corroborate the information and then do a story together. That's just not how journalism works. Journalism is all about getting scoops. And it's not a scoop if you're giving the scoop to somebody else. So that was never in consideration at all um, as far as um, how we would break the story or how we would corroborate the story. Um, a lot of it just comes down to trust, honestly. I've known Pactor for, man, it's almost going on like 20 years now, which is crazy. Um, and he's always been honest with me, like brutally honest with me. And he's never lied to me. So when he tells me something, I believe it. And this wasn't the story about Grand Theft Auto 6. Again, some, the something that people seem to be missing is this wasn't, and I'll say it again, I said it on Game Face, this wasn't a prediction. This wasn't him like, well, let's see, what did they do in the other Grand Theft Auto games? And now what do I think they're going to do in Grand Theft Auto 6? This was a very, and I accentuate very, reliable source slash person telling Michael Pactor this information. Mm. That's it. So either you, the guy is yanking Pactor's chain and he has no reason to do that. And again, I got to be very careful with what I say. Mm -hmm. He has no reason to yank Pactor's chain. This, mm. is a, this is why I waited. I knew about this information for a long time, probably almost a month actually. And this was the type of stuff that I was doing, trying to poke holes in the story, trying to mm -hmm. give him time, honestly, to maybe change his mind and say, I don't want to run it. Um, but he never wavered and for a month. And I explained to him, I'm like, this is a big deal. There's really not much information about the game out there. Like once this goes up, people are probably going to reach out to you for quotes. They're going to ask you where you got the information from, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he never wavered. He's like, okay. He's like, if they contact you, just send them my way and I'll talk to them. And like, so has that happened? Has what happened? People have been reaching out to try to get in contact. No, with them to not at all. No, like nobody. It's it all, the funny part is like just in the last like five days, a couple websites have picked it up. I don't know why they decided to now. Uh, but when the story first went out there, nobody picked it up. Um, and that's a shame. And I feel like a lot of that is because the Internet has piled on Michael Pactor for predictions that he's made that didn't end up being true like mm. not information that someone shared with him that was false literal predictions where he's trying to guess the future that he did not get right go back and look at like all my predictions that i make at the beginning of every year and see how many of those come true like it's and so he's been vilified over predictions that he's made 
And so a lot of people feel like he's not a reputable source. And a lot of publications aren't all that excited to source other people's scoops in the first place. So they're like, well, we don't really want to say somebody beat us to the punch on this on our own Mm -hmm. webpage. And we have plausible deniability because some people think Pactor isn't a reliable source. So we're just not going to run it. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. having worked in this industry for a long time in many different levels of the industry. To me, I believe that's what happened to keep the story from being picked up. So, and there's the other thing too, is that like game journalists, they're like a knitting circle. Like they, there are these like groups, these like slacks and chats and discords and stuff where journalists all from all the publications go and they'll talk about review code that they're playing or if they're stuck in a game that everyone's reviewing at the same time, if that, how do they could get on? It's like, it's a group chat. So all the editors in the industry, again, it's like a knitting circle. They all know each other. They all talk to each other. They go out and get beers together. And it could have just been like, they all were like, okay, here's the story. Are we going to run it? No, I'm not running it. And then once a couple of big outlets say they're not running it, everybody else is like, I'm not running it. So again, this is conjecture on my part, just based upon the years that I have worked in the industry. That's my best guess why it wasn't picked up. Um, Yeah. But did you have any other questions, Mitch? Uh, not on that one. So you can always just come back to me and let your uh, other guests answer a question first. And I, I got a more casual one for you. AJ, what's up, man? First of all, congratulations on the Rams winning the Super Bowl. This is the first time I've got to talk to you since that happened. <laughs> Thank How you. did you celebrate that? Wow, it was amazing. Uh, we were with our booster club. We all were got you together. at the game inside the stadium. I was at the game inside the wow. stadium. Got some amazing photos. Um, <laughs> That's yeah. awesome, dude. That's so awesome. Do you mind yeah. if I ask how much you had to pay for your tickets? You don't have so, to answer if you don't want to. No, I don't mind. We actually uh, did uh, an own location package. So before the game, we got, uh, you know, food from Wolfgang Puck and we got cool. a concert by Wyclef and, wow. uh, and uh, the Black Crows. And uh, wow. so, but we ended up paying 14 grand for our two seats. So, so seven grand a piece. About that. Yeah. But it was like so, a whole Super Bowl experience extravaganza. Yep. Something you've it's, waited your whole life for. Yeah, and uh, this is, was my first ever Super Bowl. And probably I've never been to be one. My last. <laughs> but <laughs> I went to I went to a Super Bowl in Houston. Um, it was for the Madden Bowl. We went down there uh, and covered it for X Play. So Morgan Webb and I went to Houston to cover the Super Bowl. It was when Houston had just got the Texans. They had just built the brand new studio or the yeah. brand new stadium, yep. and they got the Super Bowl there. And Morgan and I went down there to cover the Madden Bowl, where all the NFL players play each other at Madden. Nice. And we were originally supposed to be able to get into the game. Like EA was supposed to hook it up, and then it fell through and blah, blah, blah. But it was funny because at that Madden Bowl, I don't know if it's still this way, but the NFL players got hammered. <laughs> I mean, wasted. Like, they were saying crap. They Some of the crap that they said to us on camera They, we were contacted when we got back and we're told if we ran some of those quotes that they would never work with us again, because there were players who were like really drunk, who were making comments about things that their teams had done as far as like cutting players or starting players. They're like, oh, our coach is an effing idiot for starting this guy at quarterback. Like there was this guy, Sage Rosenfels, who was there. Uh He was like a career backup quarterback. 
Right. And there were some of his teammates there who were good, who were good players who were hammered. And they kept talking about how Sage Rosenfels should be the quarterback of the team and that their GM was an idiot and their coach was an idiot. There was all, (laughs) it was insane. So we ended up having to cut the segment down to basically just being like, who won the Madden Bowl? Who was good? And then this guy <laughs> played this guy. So we would have had an awesome segment. But ultimately, when we came back, they made us like cut all the fun stuff out of it. So anyway, without giving away too much, is there one <laughs> team that you looked at very differently after having an interview with one of the one of the players? Yes, because so. OK, so I'm from a town called Carlisle, Pennsylvania. It is smack dab in the central center of Pennsylvania. It's two and a half hours to Pittsburgh. It's two hours to Philadelphia. It's right in the center, just below Harrisburg. For whatever reason, when I was growing up, the Redskins had their spring training in training camp in Carlisle, PA, at a little college called Dickinson College. And it was kind of cool, actually, because like it's a small, sleepy town and like things were different back then. Like the press wasn't hounding players and like we would go and skate, skateboard at Dickinson College. It was one of the best places to skate in the whole town. And so we'd be skating there and we'd just see, and this was when the Redskins, by the way, were like one of the best teams in the, in the league. Like they had won like three or four Super Bowls in like eight years. It's back when their offensive line was called the Hogs and they had the mm-hmm. running back, John Riggins and Joe Gibbs and Joe Gibbs was a coach. They were <laughs> yeah. a dynasty basically. And we mm-hmm. would skate and these players and coaches were just walking by and talking <laughs> to us. Sometimes they stop and like try to skate. Like we got to know them. It was really bizarre, man. Like that's where like, the ankle injury came from. What'd you say? <laughs> so that's where <laughs> their ankle injury came from. <laughs> <laughs> but they were actually really cool because of like back then skateboarding was this counterculture thing that people hated. Like we would skate mm-hmm. there and rednecks would drive by in like big pickup trucks and throw bottles at us and call us like <laughs> skater fags and all this stuff. Like people hated us. Like we were like, it sucked. But yeah. the Redskins, they were from everywhere else they lived in cities they lived in urban areas where they had been exposed to a lot of culture and we were just like cool dudes to them so Mm. it was awesome so yeah the redskins players at that madden bowl were the ones who were most out of control Mm. and so i had this reverie for the redskins as a young man even though i was still a steelers fan and then as an adult, I rub elbows with the Redskins for real. And I find out, wow, these guys aren't as great as I thought they were. So, yeah, I would say. And actually, they're not even the Redskins anymore. Now they're they were Washington football team. Now they're the Washington commanders. Uh, but back then they were called the Redskins. And it is funny if you go to my town, like the town's biggest bar, this place called the Gingerbread Man. If you go in there, the whole bar is still Washington Redskins, even though the Redskins um, haven't had training camp there in like 15 years now at this point. Mm. But still, that whole bar is just gold and burgundy and their logos are everywhere. It's pretty pathetic, actually. <laughs> I'm actually not shocked that that's the team that you probably had a, a new opinion on, especially because obviously recently they've had yeah. their yeah. own issues with showing how, how how horrible the organization has been ran and how inappropriate they they handle employees. No, man. And they've turned like out that. to be awful, haven't so, they? So I guess like you had yeah. a preview of it. I and, then, and then we... <laughs> I, I should have known this was all coming. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at least you got more info than we actually got from the NFL. Cause they won't, they that's won't true. release they won't, it. That's true. They're like shielding Except, that team for some reason. Yeah. Protect that shield. Yeah. Oh, AJ, what was your question by the way? Well, I think I just well, went well, on blathering about football. No, and- no, no, you're fine. I was going to say, uh, Oh, how the times have changed because 
nowadays they would have let you put that scoop out like it's cool, you know, with the players saying this and it, it'd be like a TMZ thing. But um... well, I'll tell you what, I fought it. <laughs> we, so we were that was before we had merged with G4. We were still just X Play on Tech TV at that point, mm, right? And um, and it was small. Like our distribution was like forty-seven million homes or whatever. And I did try to fight it editorially because, again, right. I'm a journalism major. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, obviously, if they're calling us, we have a scoop here. And yep. we were, like, trying to, like, get a break. You know, we're this little network and, like, we're scrappy. And I'm like, this might be a thing. Like, if I, we run this stuff, like, <laughs> right. it could get picked up by, like, ESPN or whatever. And, like, it could be big for us. And, like, our programming department was like, hell no. We are not yeah. taking that risk. We're trying to, like, and I didn't know at the time. but they were trying to sell the network at that point. So mm. they didn't want any negative attention being brought towards the network. So they just like, we're like, Nope, don't nope. even try to put that stuff. Like usually we would do a show. We put the show in a can and then we send it to standards and practices practices for them to look at before it actually goes to air to make sure we didn't break any laws or we didn't show any right. nudity or there wasn't too much gore or violence in the show. This time, though, standards and practices were in the edit bay with me <laughs> while that segment was being cut with my video editor. Like they sat and watched and they're like, nope, cut that out. Like they cut out even like benign stuff, like any hint that NFL players were drunk, for example, mm. even if they weren't saying much, even if they were just acting kind of drunk, they're like, cut it out. Like they just completely covered their butts. So, Man. yeah. And I, it is a shame. I do wonder whatever happened to all that footage. But, you know, yeah. it's water under the bridge now. No one will care. The, the secret tapes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hey, the NFL our... burned the uh, Spygate tapes. So. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Maybe they got a hold of those tech TV yeah. tapes. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so AJ, Jane, what's your question, man? I want I want to. I want you to go back into your editor in chief shoes. Okay. Okay. And so, when you first off, how how soon in advance would you receive a review code for a game like Elden Ring? Mm -hmm. And two, the person you put on to review it was it a necessity that they finished the game before actually putting out? A review score okay that's a great question um let's see where do i want to start to tackle that i would say so those games were around while i was the editor-in-chief at game trailers and there were luckily for us most of the people on the editorial staff at least were curious about them there weren't many people on the game trailers editorial staff that were just flat out like i don't want to play it and that made it easy um at the same time, there were a couple people that I would argue were super fans of those games, but mm -hmm. they were also people who weren't directly on the editorial team. Like a couple of our video editors were hardcore, like from software fans. Um, so it wasn't that hard for me to find someone to review their games that weren't just going to automatically gush all over them. Like, and so I, one, I would say I would not do that. I would not give one of their games to a from software super fan. Um, I would try to not do that. I, I would also not give it to someone like me, um, somebody who has clearly not enjoyed their games in the past because they're starting off on the wrong foot too. So you want to try to find someone who's like open to their games, but is also willing to accept that there may or may not be um, some shortcomings with their games. And luckily for me at Game Trailers, that was not a problem. But in general... As an EIC, as a reviews editor, that's the type of person that I'm looking for to review those types of games. Because if you just get a fan to review it, 
you're just going to confirm all the biases of the fans already. And honestly, you're probably going to confirm all the biases of the people who haven't liked it in the past because they're not Mm. going to approach it from that person's perspective. And then the other question is, how much value is does a review have if you're writing it for people who know that they're going to buy it no matter what? Because most from software fans, if Elden Ring had got, let's say his Metacritic average was a 5.5, they still would have bought it. Yeah. They wouldn't have stopped any of them. It would have stopped casual people who were curious about the game from buying it, at least some of them, but it wouldn't have stopped the fans. So almost by default, any reviews written for fans have zero value. And it's not just for From Software or Elden Ring. It's for pretty much any franchise. If there's hardcore 3D Mario platformer fans out there, like they're going to buy Super Mario Odyssey 2. They just are. Like it doesn't matter how much I say it sucks. If it sucks, it doesn't matter. They're going to buy it. So I don't think there's ever value in having fans review games. I just don't. Um, Back to your other question. When, how early do you get review code? It just varies. It's, Mm. There's no rhyme or reason to it other than some publishers are better at getting you review code early than others. Mm. Um, Bethesda, generally really good at getting review code out early. I have had Ghostwire Tokyo for days and days now, and I'm able to like play it at a decent pace instead of just having to like ram through it. Um, Final Fantasy Origin, Stranger of Paradise, Final, Final Fantasy Origin. I got that like three days before it came out and Mm -hmm. like I got it like on Tuesday and it came Mm -hmm. out on Friday. And so I had three days conceivably to play through that. Um, And to answer your other question, do my writers need to finish games to review them? Yes, they do. They always have had to finish games before they will review them. Um, And so that does present more issues for games like Elden Ring. If I had a guy who was trying to review that and I got it, like a week and a half early, which is about how early I got it. Um, would I expect them to have that done in time? No, I would not. Um, and it's, there's a dialogue that goes on between the editor and the reviews editor or the EIC. Like you stay in touch and, you know, they'll go home and play it for a night and they'll come in, in the morning and they would normally come into my office and be like, hey, this is where I'm at. Um, this is really hard. I feel <laughs> like I haven't made much progress. I can see that the map is gigantic. I feel like I'm in trouble here. Mm-hmm. And so then you start to set the expectations and it is ultimately a big sacrifice, or at least it used to be. I don't think it's as big a deal anymore. It is a sacrifice to delay your review past embargo. It just mm-hmm. is. Um, but the good news is, is like you really rarely have to do that. This is an exception. Like these, this game's just really hard. Like I can't even imagine trying to play this game for review i'm playing it now on a stream shane versus elden ring mm-hmm. and i have dozens of people who have already finished the game sometimes twice mm. tons of guides to look at um just strategies after strategy all these ways to cheese the game on youtube all these videos that teach you how to create a build in two hours that can beat the final boss even with all these resources, the game is still a pain in the ass. <laughs> so I, there's no, I don't think there was any way someone could have finished Elden Ring in the amount of time that we had to finish it in time for the embargo. Mm. I just don't think it was possible. Mm. Um, and I, some of the stories that have come out of the people that tried to do it, they're like, I you know, slept eight hours across five days. It's like, no, mm. like you shouldn't have to do that. 
And at some point, you have to be an adult and you have to look at your employees as human beings. Yeah. And you have to say, you know what? Don't worry about it, man. Like, work hard and I'll give you time away from the office this week. So you don't need to come in here and like do your day-to-day crap. I'll pitch in and help and do that stuff for you. Or I'll find someone else who can help and pitch in. Go home and play it at home where you're comfortable and don't kill yourself, but play hard and try to get it done as soon as you can. But don't sweat hitting that embargo. And no EIC or reviews editor did that. None. <laughs> they all published their reviews on embargo. And I would argue the, the motivation to do that now is lesser than ever. Back then, if you would go to Metacritic or GameRankings.com, which I don't think even exists anymore, if you would go to either of those sites, there would be like 18 reviews. And it made a huge difference if your review was there on day one. But I was mm. willing to make that sacrifice for the health of my guys and girls who work for me. Mm. But in, with so many reviews now, like whether you show up on Metacritic on day one or not, it's not going to bump your numbers all that much anymore. So I would, I would say I'm a little disappointed in collectively the editorial leadership in the industry over that game. Mm. Um, and on it, do I think that ultimately it skewed the score of Elden Ring? No, not that much, because, again, I think at most publications, the fans are the ones who reviewed the game. And honestly, there's no way they're going to give that game less than a nine. There just Mm. wasn't. There's no way that they're going to make an open world for a game that they have already been obsessed with and loved. And you're going to give it a lower score than those other games. They're just not. So Mm. I don't think it would. It affected the overall ending Metacritic score of the game that much. So maybe there wasn't that much harm done. Uh, but ethically, for your employees, I think that a lot of editors in chief and uh, reviews editors made the wrong decision. Who on the publisher side makes the decision on how early a game uh, like that would go out? I mean, do you think they think about that? Like, this is a hard game. We want the review scores to get out. Or are they just thinking, hey, we'll send it and let them deal with it? Do, well, do they, they no- take that into consideration? I think they do. Do I think that they care about it that much? No. I uh, think way before it went through testing and they were told by their QA department, and Mitch is going to learn this very quickly, their QA department has come to them and said, damn, this game's long and it's really hard. Like it took, it's going to take, you know, they have testers who have been playing the game all along and they'll have a feature complete build and they'll be like, okay, play it. Let's see how long Mm. it takes our best players who know the game inside and out to finish the game. Mm. And from that, they extrapolate, okay, well, imagine someone who hasn't touched this game at all, how long it's going to take. So they have a pretty good idea of... I think in context for Elden Ring, they gave them two weeks, if I remember correctly. We got it a week and a half early. Yeah. Mm. We got review code with everybody else for that game. Yeah, it was was pretty long, decent amount of time comparative to like five days or, as you said, three days, which actually kind of has a follow-up question to it for me, which is, you know, in the movie industry, a lot of the times the embargo, you can usually tell if the uh, confidence from a studio um, has in a film is how soon the embargo is the sooner, the, 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 the sooner to release date, they're not as confident in the film because they, they want those reviews just to be up right at the movie dated time, yeah. but they're really confident. They released that embargo like five days early. Do you think the games industry is slightly similar as like Strangers in Paradise isn't doing that great with scores? We all kind of anticipated potentially that was going to be the thing of what, but based on what we saw the game, but then you look at something like Elden Ring, they, 
you know, the embargo did lift, you know, a week, a couple, like a week before the game even came out. Do you think there's a correlation with that? Well, I could answer that while also continuing to finish AJ's question. So, um, so the QA department knows, which means that the PR department knows, which means that the Mm -hmm. publisher knows, which means that from software knows this game is really long. It's really hard. It's most people are not going to be able to finish it in 10 days, but Mm -hmm. what I was getting at is that they don't care. They're going to (laughs) try. They're going to try to get it to you as early as possible. And that's the goal because they know there's awesome stuff in the game. And so they Mm -hmm. want you to be able to get to that really cool freaking boss. that's going to blow your mind so that it's in your mind when you're writing your review and therefore the game gets a higher score. Mm -hmm. Um, So they know, but that marketing plan is all set in stone so far ahead of, of, of when you finally send that review code out. So Mm -hmm. You want the reviews to go up on a certain date, period. And that takes in no consideration whatsoever how hard the game is, how long it's going to take them, or when you send them the build. You want the reviews up on this day. And there's a million things that go into how that day is set. It could be when all your commercials are going to run on NFL games or whatever. There's, there's a billion things that go into that. So I don't, I don't want to say that they don't care at all about the editors, but I would say their care about the editors is probably like the 10th notch down on the totem pole. The ultimate goal is for the, for them to have the editors play as as much of the game as possible to get to as many good parts as possible so that the reviews are as positive as possible and then convert those scores that the editors give the game in enough time to get the message out before it actually goes on sale. So mm. now to your question, Mitch, how are they setting the embargo dates? There is a little bit of what you were hinting at where this game is really bad. We may not let them review it before at all. Babylon's mm. Fall example mm-hmm. just came out. Nobody got review code for that until the game was out. And mm. if it ends up, it wasn't great. So that stuff does happen. But with games like this that are where they're not quite sure just how they're going to rate with critics, it's really more of a factor of the awareness of it. How much do people know the brand? In this case, people didn't know Elden Ring, but they knew from software. Right. Um, so that, that plays into it. Like how much renown is there around the franchise? How much lead time do we need to message out that this game is good? And mm-hmm. with Elden Ring, since people hadn't heard of the franchise before, they probably were like, you know what? And they look at metrics and data on social media and all the stuff to decide this. But, They're like, okay, for this, we probably need four or five days on social media. We think the game's going to review high. Our mock reviews have come in really good. Um, We've played it. We think it's awesome. Um, The fans, we think, are going to freak out. So it's Elden Ring. Nobody knows what that is, but it's from software. People do know what that is. We're going to need five days on social media to get people to fully freak out over this game so that when it finally launches on Friday, people actually go out and buy it. And that's Mm. kind of the scale that they're working with when they decide when to set the embargo versus when the game is coming out with a tinge of what Minch was hinting at, which is if they know a game is bad and it's not going to review well, a lot of times they will either wait until the last minute for the embargo or just not let people review it in advance at all. Mm. Which AJ, just to, I think to piggyback off Shane a little bit and Shane can correct me if I'm wrong is, you know, the other part about, the releasing of like how much time they give the the editorial it's also they want to put a good product out there because they don't want like if you put the product out sooner and give them say like say they gave elden ring editorial two weeks but that but that four days ended up having like a couple massive bugs in there what's your review Mm. gonna say 
your viewers going to say this game is buggy. Buggy, yeah. So like that's that's the other hiccup. That's where the balance is. Like they put the release date out there already ahead of time in trying to anticipate to be like we can be done with all this stuff by this day and try mm-hmm. to get that to them as soon as possible. But like you know, it's only so much. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's very rare for a game to be delayed inside a month before release, particularly a big budget game, because by then you've already made all your ad buys. Um, mm-hmm. And so come hell or high water, those TV commercials are running. So you, you better have your product on shelf so that you can at least make some money and recoup some of the investment that you have into your advertising and marketing. So, um, gotcha. but it's Elden Ring's tough, man. Like that's a tough situation. Like try on ideally critics get that at least three weeks early. Mm-hmm. but I can't think of too many games in my entire career that we got that early, like maybe mm. five ever that we got that early. Um, so it just doesn't really happen. Red dead redemption two, I got pretty early, like two weeks early, I think something okay. like that. Um, and that game was gigantic, yeah. but I did manage to finish it before the embargo hit because it wasn't, it was gigantic, but it wasn't really hard. Yeah. Um, you could just make continual progress through the game whereas with elden ring man like it's a crapshoot like because a lot of it depends on your build it's mm-hmm. like i fought a boss on shame versus elden ring yesterday that a lot of people have fought and like it took them like 30 or 40 times i ended up beating him in like five tries and i'm nice. not like mr like right. from software dude and all <laughs> it really came down to was my build. I mm. had the right attributes. I had the right summon that I could use. It, it's that game is tough. Like so, I, I do feel a little bit for Bandai Namco and From Software. I do think like that they did the best they could. I don't think that there was anything nefarious behind it, or that they were trying to jimmy the scores of the game in any way. I think that it just did the best that it could, knowing that it had a release date, knowing that it already committed X amount of dollars to marketing and advertising. Um, and it, again, it just did the best that it could. So yeah. I, I don't think there was any harm or foul in how Elden Ring was handled. The reviews anyway. Now that I am a free man in a, well, I wouldn't say free man in LA. I've already been a free man in LA, but anyway. They're uh, holding, holding you down, Mitch. I'll yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, my last job kept me very, very, very busy. I was uh-huh. working a lot of long hours and basically I went home and slept or played some games. And besides that, that's all I could do with my time. So yeah. Um, New job, great with the timing too. So, um, but anyway, because I can explore even more of LA, because I, again, the pandemic has really caused an issue to like allow me to explore and yeah. feel comfortable exploring. But now it's things are opening up and things are a lot more safe. So, where is your like top three restaurants you love to go in LA? Uh, does price matter? <laughs> if, if price did not matter. What's your three places? The best restaurant in Los Angeles in my humble opinion, is Wolfgang Puck's cut. I mm. I love steak. I can't really eat steak that much anymore because I have my cholesterol is like a little high. Um, so I've kind of cut down on my red meat. But when I do go get a steak, I go to Wolfgang Puck's cut. It is the steak there is amazing. Everything there is just amazing. You can order anything on the menu and it is delicious. Mm. Um, but it is expensive. Like if you go there with a date, you're going to spend 200, 250 mm. bucks. So that's why I asked you if price was a concern. <laughs> Um, everybody needs a good burger and my favorite burger spot. Actually, there's two. My favorite burger spot in LA, if if price is no object is a place called plan check. It's on Saltel, actually just a couple blocks up Mitch from where I took you to lunch when you first got here. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so, it's, too, so too so fu tofu. Yeah, but so it's on the same street, but closer towards Santa Monica. Okay, and they have they're like crazy burgers. They have and actually I talked about this maybe on Ask Chain anything before. They have like this stuff called ketchup leather. They have like these cheese chips that they put on it. The burger that I get has a, a sunny side up egg on it. So you nice. put the bun on it and the egg, the yolk breaks and like drizzles down. It's amazing. But two burgers. So if you go there with a date, you're going to spend around 50 bucks for two burgers. The other mm. awesome burger place that's way cheaper is a place called Apple Pan. It has been around since like 1920. Mm-hmm. And they make these burgers called hickory burgers that have this secret sauce that they make that they put on the burgers. And I highly recommend that you go there. Um, what would be my thirds? A lot of my favorite restaurants have closed, honestly. Um, mm. And then some of the other places that I really like are chains that aren't just unique to Los Angeles. But I'll throw a chain in there just in case someone else has someone that's not in LA that might want to have the chain. <laughs> well, no, there's actually I do have like a third pick. There's a okay. ro- there's a roast beef place downtown mm. that has okay. been around since also I think the 1920s or the 1930s. It's either called like Pete's Roast Beef or whatever. It's amazing. But it's one of those mm-hmm. places that you go to and you stand in line outside because everybody knows about it. And it's like a thing. Um, and that's amazing. Um, just like if you're one, if you come to L.A. and you want to eat there, just Google roast beef downtown L.A. and it'll pop up immediately. And then now, if the you ultimate like question dogs, for the ultimate question for that place, though, is does it come because it's roast beef? Does it come with a jus? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That, then you know it's great roast beef. And, and horseradish. Yeah. That's what you have to have. And they have it. Believe me. That's what, how they make it. And then if you're a hot dog guy like I used to be, I really can't eat hot dogs because that's like the worst thing for someone with like, with cholesterol problems. I haven't eaten a hot dog in like a year and a half. And it, it hurts my heart to say that. But mm. there's a hot dog place on Melrose Avenue called Pink's Hot Dogs. And oh, it's yeah. like an L.A. staple. It also oh, yeah. is like a line that goes all the way around the block like all day long. And it's worth it. They have it's like 80 different kinds of hot dogs. Um, people always go there and we're standing in line. They're like, these are hot dogs. Is this really worth it? I'm like, just stay in line, man. Just yep. trust me. And it is when you finally get your hot dogs. You're like, OK, that was worth the 20 minute wait in line. So I mean, is it better than a Chicago Portillo dog? I mean, are good. they're good. Yeah. But pinks are like, <clears throat> excuse me, like gourmet hot dogs. Like oh, you okay. can get like they have literally like 80 different kinds. Yeah. And there's also like five different like wieners like you can just have like a traditional one there's like different kielbasa and stuff like that there yeah. and they just have a billion different toppings and ways to make them and you can customize them and make them how you want there it's amazing again it's called pinks on melrose what were the two burger places shane plan check and apple pan apple, pan, apple pan is also in west la it's on pico right across the street actually from <clears throat> this brand new crazy headquarters that Google is building right now. Okay. Thank yep. you. No problem, man. I'm surprised you haven't uh, had Apple pan. Now plan check has been around for like eight years, nine years. So I wouldn't be surprised if you haven't eaten there, but Apple pan is like an LA institution. Um, and I've met so many met. I've seen so many celebrities at Apple pan. Mm-hmm. Probably right like five or six different celebrities there. Um, and it's crazy. You just sit there at this counter. It's like an old school, diner situation where you sit in this like half like circle bar and then they work in the middle nice so you're sitting there and you can just see everybody who's in the restaurant because you're all sitting around the same bar and it's weird to just sit there and be like oh there's rob Lowe, which is the last (laughs) celebrity that i saw in there (laughs) 
but it's like world famous or whatever you should definitely next time you're in west la one you should hit me up and we'll we'll go get a beer and two after we get the beer we'll head over and get a hamburger from apple pan how about that i will definitely do that that sounds great word of mouth and i'll have a martini though i'm not a beer drinker (laughs) honestly i don't really drink beer either (laughs) it's just easier to say have a beer than let's drink liquor (laughs) no i feel you i feel you (laughs) all right everyone thanks for watching ask shane anything for march of 2022 again if you want to be a part of this call in the future you need to pledge at the ask shane tier or higher at seven dollars a month or more thanks to everyone who showed up for this month and we'll see you in I've kind of proven the point that it's not really get good. Like it really, these games are really about kind of learning like the, how to manipulate the games more than like whether your hand eye coordination is great. Like that's, what's really bothered me about this is when people are like, you just aren't good. It's like, no, I'm not good. It's not about being good or not. It's not about Twitch muscles and eye hand coordination and reaction time. It's about learning like, the ins and outs of the game, learning the Mm -hmm. verbiage of the game, learning what stuff does. Like, so for example, in yesterday's recording, we looked through my inventory and I had these things in my inventory, literally 40 of them called golden runes. I had been collecting them through the game. I had no idea what to do with them. As it turns out, you just consume them and it gives you runes. I literally had been walking around in the game for (laughs) dozens of hours with like 30,000 runes on me. Wow. That I could use to upgrade my character like five right. levels. Right. But the yeah. game doesn't communicate any of that stuff. And like, yeah. that's a big part of being good at their games is understanding stupid crap like that. The dumb words that they use to describe everything that makes no sense and doesn't correlate to anything you've ever played before. All that stuff to me goes into it way more than whether you yeah. actually have hand eye coordination and Twitch skills or not. Like, I, think I can, I can have least... a, a 2.0 KD almost in Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Like <laughs> that is relying on Twitch and hand-eye Twitch. coordination. And yeah. so how can I do that? But I suck at Elden Ring or Dark Soul, like whatever. So now I just think they're the, they're the <clears throat> in my mind, they're the least accessible game yeah. on the market. Yeah. And it's not, it's, I mean, in some people, that's what they want. But like I it think it creates a barrier I, for them. It creates so that, a barrier, yeah. and and yeah. you could see that with Assassin's Creed and what they did. And I think that's a, a great model that honestly, from software should probably follow a little bit to help make their games more accessible to people. Where um, Assassin's Creed pivoted from being the you know having from all the markers all across the board and doing your checklist constantly and being like, hey, if you don't want to do that, we can take them away. Yeah, and then you just give have me to the option. It. Yeah. And they give you the option and yeah. that's great. And There's I think it's imp- wrong with that. I think it improved the game. And I think uh, yes, what's hilarious does. was I heard about someone paying $2 and 50 cents because there is a app where you yeah. can track your logs and stuff. And so yeah. someone's making money off of from software should have done. Yeah. And they made their game. I, wow. It's, it's absurd, man. It's, it really is. It's, it's, but it is what it is. 